chapter. And uh, Romans chapter 8 this morning, we'll start a new chapter in the book of Romans. And the message is entitled, Watch Your Step. Watch Your Step. And, uh, you know, rainy days especially, right? Uh, I think we, had a, we got a caution, caution uh, uh, wet floor sign over here. Maybe we had a little accident, I guess, before church or whatever. You want to watch your step over there because where you walk, depending on where you walk, you may slip and fall. And, uh, and boy, if you slip and fall, bad things happen, right? And so uh, this morning as we get into Romans chapter 8... Uh, we're going to talk about walking and where we walk and how we walk and how that in, impacts our life, listen, in this life, but also in eternal life. It's going to make a huge difference. And so, if you will, Romans chapter 8, we're going to read verses 1 to 8 together, uh, should be on the screen, and uh, follow along, please, uh, in your Bible. The Bible says in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. For the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, He's not of his. I actually cheated and went into verse 9, but, but we're just going to make a brief application out of verse 9. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me because we need it. I need it this morning, and let's ask God to teach us as we get into the, the, the Word of God. Father, uh, again, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for uh, the safety that you've given our missionaries. We, we do pray for uh, Jeff and Sandra, God. We, we pray that their ministry, uh, in, in spite of persecution, God, it, it flourishes. I pray that people do get saved, uh, that, that maybe even the the uneasiness and unrest uh, creates a, a, an eternal concern in the lives of people uh, that really they realize, okay, this, this life really is short and uncertain, and uh, I need to make sure that I'm right with the Lord. Uh, and so, Lord, use that to, to get the gospel further into that country. I pray that church flourishes, uh, that church plant be with the leaders there, the pastor, and uh, God, may those people disciple their people uh, in such a way to deal with that persecution. And uh, Lord, just bless the ministry. And Father, for us, God, we need to hear from you this morning. I pray that uh, we've all come with open hearts and open ears to hear your word. I pray that this morning uh, there is a void in our heart that, that needs to hear this message and that, Lord, you would deliver uh, faithfully into our life what we need to hear. And so we, we, we want to respond rightly to you from your word. Uh, we want to go ahead and say yes, Lord, to whatever it is you'd have us to do. And uh, Lord, just pray that you would speak to us today. We ask your Holy Spirit to guide us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Romans chapter 8, watch your step. And, uh, and when you get to verse 1, and you're going to need to kind of pay attention to the text uh, a good bit in your Bible today, the Bible in verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The first thing we have to do in Romans chapter 8 is set the context uh, in other words, what, what is Romans 8 even going to talk about? The whole chapter deals with the Spirit of God and, and its influence and impact in our life. 
But there's this key word that starts verse 1, and it's the word therefore. And if you're a student of the Bible at this church, you know that anytime you see the word therefore, you need to go back, backwards, and say, what is this therefore? And, and, and I want you to understand that Romans chapter 8 is directly connected to Romans chapter 7. You smart people are here this morning, praise the Lord, because 7 comes before 8. And so, and so thank God all the smart Baptists are here today. Uh, Romans chapter 7, we ended chapter 7 in verses 14 to 25 with the battle between the flesh and the spirit that every Christian experiences. And if you were here last week, we talked about that. Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. You remember that? And, and, and Paul said he was wretched because there was a war raging. The, the, the Spirit of God pulled him to do what was good, but he couldn't do it. His flesh pulled him to what was evil, and many times he did that. And that's the same struggle we have. That's the same struggle you have if you're honest. I want you to understand that Romans 8 comes on the heels of Romans 7. In other words, that spiritual battle has everything to do with Romans chapter 8. And, and here's why it's important. Because verse 1, can you go back? Well, you got it on the screen. Verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And there is a comma after that, not a period. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the, the Spirit. And so, you know, I'm going to make a few comments this morning, and, and listen, I hope not to offend, but, but I want you to understand that most modern versions of the Bible take out the last half of chapter, chapter 8, verse 1. As a matter of fact, let me give you four examples. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1 in the ESV, the Bible says, there is, now, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, period. Romans 8, 1 in the New American Standard says, There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, period. In the NIV, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, comma, at least they get the comma right. And in the Holman Christian Standard Bible, of course, it says the exact same thing with the comma. Uh, and, and here's where I'm going with this. Look, if you take out the last half of that verse, it changes the meaning. Because words give meaning. Words give context and the Bible scholars will tell you, well, in the oldest manuscripts available, the oldest manuscripts don't have the last part of that verse in the text. Well, oldest doesn't mean most accurate. And if you know anything about the, the process of inspiration and preservation of the scriptures, you know that 5,000 plus of the most, those, the most available manuscripts, out of those 5,000 manuscripts plus that are available... 95% of those manuscripts have the last half of the verse in them. And the point is, God inspired His Word, He preserved His Word, and He wants you to have all of His Word. And, and the, the issue is so important because we're going to talk about condemnation this morning. I'm glad you came to church. Boy, fantastic. I couldn't wait to get here. We're going to talk about condemnation. I mean, don't go to sleep on me and don't go to lunch yet. I want you to understand that there is a biblical understanding of condemnation that we must get. And listen, the verse says, when you read it in a King James Bible that has all the words in it, the verse says that there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, comma, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And you would say, Jay, are you trying to say that, that a saved man can experience condemnation? 
I'm not saying that. But God's Word is. God's Word says that, listen, there is more than one type of condemnation in the Bible. And so, listen, what modern Bible scholars and Bible translators do is instead of actually understanding the possibility that there's more than one type of condemnation in the Bible, they just choose to change the text so that it makes it mean what they want it to mean. How disingenuous. You need to understand that the Bible is very clear on this issue, and as, as it is many other issues. As a matter of fact, if you're a true Bible believer, you know that there's more than one type of death in the Bible. There's physical death, there's spiritual death. Well, all of a sudden, there's at least two deaths in the Bible, but you already knew that. You know that there's more than one baptism in the Bible. There's John's baptism of repentance for the nation of Israel. That's called a baptism. There's Jesus' baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's called a baptism. That's what puts you in Christ, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. God also teaches us through his word that there's a baptism of fire that Jesus is going to deliver. There's also your water baptism after salvation. That's four baptisms, and there's three more that we didn't even talk about. There's more than one baptism. There's more than one death. There's more than one birth. Because in John chapter 3, it says, if a man is not born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so the Bible teaches that there's more than one birth. Their Bible teaches there's more than one heaven. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul says that he went to the third heaven. And if there's a third one, there has to be a second and a first. And the first one would be our sky or the, 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 the sky that where the birds fly. And the second heaven would be what we would call outer space. The third heaven would be where, where God dwells. And it's in the Bible. God teaches that. There's more than one. There's also more than one judgment in the Bible. There's the judgment of sin on the cross of Calvary. There's the judgment seat of Christ for the believer. There's the judgment of nations at the end of the tribulation period called the sheep goat judgment. I'm just saying... Because there's more than one of all these other things, well, there's more than one condemnation in your Bible. And if you just let God's word be true and every man a liar, we'll come to understand this, this scripture according to the way God wants us to understand it. So we need to talk, number one, about a biblical understanding of condemnation. That's where we want to start this morning in verse 1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And anytime you want to understand a word in the Bible, you use the Bible as its own commentary. You compare Scripture with Scripture. Well, that word condemnation shows up for the very first time in Luke chapter 23. And many of you will remember the story. In Luke chapter 23, Jesus Christ is on the cross, and he's hung between two thieves. And in verse 39, the Bible says, And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, railed on Christ, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other, seeing, rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we, indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our what? Of our deeds. But this man, he's talking about Christ, hath done nothing amiss. And so here's what I want you to understand from the Word of God itself, a good definition. I didn't put this in your notes, but you feel free to jot it down. In the very first mention of the word condemnation in your Bible, there is a judgment that has been passed on deeds that have been done. There's a judgment that has been passed on deeds that have been done, 
And the result of that judgment was death. That's a really good working Bible definition of what condemnation is. It's a judgment that's been passed on deeds that have been done, and the result of such is death. Now, the Bible teaches very clearly there are at least two types of condemnation, and we need to understand those so that we can apply Romans 8 to our life personally. Number one is the condemnation of hell for the unbeliever. The condemnation of hell for the unbeliever. And I think when we read the Bible and we read about condemnation, this is where we automatically go to. We think about hell, we think about judgment and separation from God and, and eternal death, and, and that would be a right understanding of this word for a lost man, for an unbeliever. John chapter 3 and verse 18 says this, He that believeth on him, on Christ, is not, what's the next word? Condemned. Is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned, what? Already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their, their deeds were what? And there it is. Okay, so you see that there's a judgment based on deeds done, and what condemns a lost man is that he's not come to Christ as Savior. He has not believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation because his deeds are evil. And if he doesn't believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that he's condemned already. He's condemned already. He's condemned already. He's already under that pending judgment and condemnation. John chapter 5 and verse 24 says this, Verily I say unto you, He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Have you done that? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Listen, if you have, you have everlasting life presently. Good Lord, somebody needs to get saved in this house. Because if you've got everlasting life, well, that's something to rejoice about. I mean, it's better than what you're going to eat for lunch. I'm just telling you. I mean, it's better. If you have it, that's something to rejoice over. And listen, if you have everlasting life, you shall not come into what? Condemnation. But you've been passed from death to what? To life. And you see how that works, okay? And, and Romans 5, 18 is another verse. We don't have time. Okay, so the first type of condemnation is is the condemnation of hell for the lost man, for the unbeliever. That's who I was until the age of 21 when someone shared the gospel with me. I was under that condemnation, and if, if I would have died physically, I would have experienced the, the spiritual death and the spiritual condemnation that God has, has foreordained as a judgment of sin. But thank God someone shared the gospel with me, and thank God the Spirit of God convicted me to respond rightly. But I want you to understand that there is a condemnation for a Christian. There's potential for it. You say, Jay, I'm not sure about that. Well, let's read the Bible. Number two, the condemnation of the believer in Christ who walks after the flesh. Who walks after the flesh. So let me tell you what Romans 8 is not teaching. Romans 8 is not teaching that a person can lose their salvation. It is not teaching that a believer in Christ will be condemned to hell. But it is teaching. It has everything to do with our walk. How we walk. And it does tell us that if we walk after the flesh, it will result in a condemnation. And walking in the Spirit will certainly 
not result in condemnation. And you better get this down as a child of God. The Bible is crystal clear that a believer in Christ can receive condemnation, a judgment based on deeds that are done, that do result in, it does result, excuse me, in death. You say, what kind of death? Well, I'm talking about death and separation from God in hell. But I am talking about the chastening of the Lord. I am talking about the loss of reward. I am talking about a wasted life walking after the the flesh. There will be a condemnation for that. You say, Jay, show me examples of the Bible where a New Testament believer suffers condemnation. Well, I'm glad you asked because I've got a few. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is one. The context of 1 Corinthians 11 is the Lord's Supper, where we come together and we remember what Christ has done for us. We, we look backward to the cross. We look forward to his second coming. And Paul lays out this, this prescription for the, for the Christian that when you come to the Lord's Supper, you're to examine yourself. You come rightly to the Lord's Supper. You don't come wrongly. You don't come carnally or fleshly. And he says in verses 33 and 34, Wherefore, my brethren, he's talking to saved people. He says, my brethren, when you come together to eat, and he's talking about the Lord's Supper, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye not come unto, unto together unto what? Unto condemnation. And the rest I will set in order when I come. In other words, the Lord's table is not the Chinese buffet line for you. It's not the place to come and just get your fill because of your hungry flesh. As a matter of fact, Paul says your motive of coming to the Lord's table is really important. So important that if you come the wrong way, it leads to condemnation, brethren. A saved man can experience condemnation. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6, the qualifications of a, a bishop, a spiritual leader in the church, one of the offices of, of leadership in the church, same thing as a pastor, same thing as an elder. When Paul goes through that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he says this bishop should not be a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Listen, if you're going to be a minister in the body of Christ, you have to be a saved man. Do you understand that? Now listen, a lot of churches don't teach that, and a lot of churches don't check for that, but at this church we do. You need to, you need to be saved to be in the ministry, not just educated. Not just educated. There's a lot of lost people in pulpits, and there's a lot, a lot of lost people at seminaries. You need to be saved, but I want you to understand from the text that a saved man, a minister, can fall into pride, and he can fall into condemnation because of the issue of pride. And Mark chapter 7 says, pride comes from out of the heart of a man. It comes out of his flesh. And look at the other things that are listed with it. Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy. There it is. Pride, foolishness. Man, listen. Your sinful flesh... And you walking in your sinful flesh can still lead to condemnation. Number three, James chapter 3 and verse 1. The context of James chapter 3 is spiritual leaders, masters. And he says in James 3 and verse 1, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. 
And James was, was an apostle. I believe the James that wrote the book of the James was the apostle James, not James, the half-brother of Jesus. And I believe you can prove that in the Bible. He includes himself in that as a master of Israel. Nicodemus was a master of Israel. He was a religious leader. He was a teacher. And he says, be not many masters because we shall receive the greater condemnation. When does that condemnation happen? Well, for the saved man, it doesn't happen because your sins aren't paid for. Your sins got paid for on the cross of Calvary. But friends, we all are going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. As a matter of fact, in your notes, if I didn't put this in there, you need to write this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 8 to 15. Is that not in your notes? I'm going to fire my secretary. I'm, I'm my own secretary, so yeah. So I just demoted my, my pay right there. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 8 to 15. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 10 to 11. The Bible says that we shall all stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to give an account of what was done in our body, in our flesh, whether it was good or bad. And we're going to either receive reward or we're going to suffer loss. And you would say, well, Jay, I don't really believe that because I got my fire insurance. I know I'm saved. Friend, you may have your fire insurance. You better have your fire assurance because the judgment seat of Christ is a judgment by fire. It's a judgment by fire. You say, I don't like that. I don't care what you like. The Bible is very clear. The Bible is crystal clear on this. And your walk and my walk and your work and my work will be judged by fire at the judgment seat of Christ. Do you have ears to hear that this morning? We better understand biblical condemnation. We better understand it. Because there is a potential, Christian, that you can be saved and still experience condemnation at the judgment seat of Christ. Doesn't mean you're going to hell. Doesn't mean you're losing your salvation. It will mean that you suffer loss and you suffer shame as the Lord examines and tries the, the, the working out of your life after you got saved. And he examines that with his purifying fire, which is a consuming fire. And when you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians, it says that there's either going to be gold, silver, and precious stones that come through that judgment there's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. And by the way, wood, hay, and stubble don't survive fire. So we, we, we have to position ourselves in agreement with the Scriptures. There is potential for condemnation if we walk after the flesh and don't walk after the Spirit. And God's giving us the instruction in Romans 8, you don't have to experience that condemnation. You don't have to be the one that experiences that. And so the second thing God gives us in the text is a biblical understanding of incarnation. And we're going to look at verses 2 and 4. Incarnation means in the flesh. And the Bible says in verse 2 that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin... Condemned sin, how did he do it? In the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. And so let me give you two points here real quick. Number one, the first key is this. Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, overcame sin and he did it as a man. He did it as a man. He did it in the flesh. He overcame sin. 
your sinful flesh couldn't do it, but because he is the Son of God, he could. And he did. Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 that we have not a high, an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are. Listen, he experienced it. He experienced temptation just like you do, just like I do. He experienced it yet without, yet without sin. He overcame sin as a man. If you had the time, go to Matthew. You don't have time this morning, but go to Matthew chapter 4. And when you read through his temptation, Jesus overcame the lust of the flesh. He overcame the lust of the eyes. He overcame the temptation of the pride of life. He overcame everything that's in this world that tempts you. Because he's God. He's God in the, in the flesh, which is the second point. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And, and we actually studied this super in-depth this past Wednesday night. Were you guys there? Some of you were there. Listen, we exposed, exposited from the scriptures the fact that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. He never ceased to be God. He didn't leave his deity in heaven in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Here it is. God was manifest where? In the flesh. Now, you better figure this out because there's plenty of people that are religious and spiritual in our culture that would say that Jesus Christ was not God in the flesh. And some would even call themselves Christian, which is ironic to me. There are plenty of religious systems that deny the deity of God incarnate, God in the flesh. Well, you can't go against the Bible, and the Bible's very clear. You can't go against it. You'll lose. The Bible's very clear that God in the flesh is Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just, he was the just one, for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, that being put to death in the, in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. 1 Peter 4 and verse 1, Christ hath suffered for us, listen, in the flesh. Why is incarnation so important for us? Listen, because God in Jesus Christ is righteous, and because God died for me in the person of Jesus Christ, and now that I'm a believer in Christ, I can live righteously. Not because of the power of my flesh, but because of the victory of his flesh over sin. But listen, I can live righteously only... If I walk in the Spirit. Only if I walk in the Spirit. Which leads to the third point, and this is where I was trying to get to the whole morning. A biblical understanding of ambulation. And there's probably only about two people in the room that understand this word. A biblical understanding of ambulation. You say, Jade, is that? Okay, you have got to put the thesaurus down. You had to find a T-I-O-N word to match. No, okay. Ambulation is a word, it's a medical term that literally means your ability to walk. Thank you, Nurse Jamie. Your ability to, to walk. And I want you to look at verses 4 to, to 7 real quick because really this is the crux of the matter that we're looking at this morning in Romans chapter 8. The key to not experiencing condemnation as a believer in Christ. It has everything to do with how you walk. So let's look at it. Verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Here it is. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And then he kind of gives you some details. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. 
But they that are after the Spirit, the implication is they mind. They mind the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is what? Is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. Okay, so what in the world is this about? What, Jay, what are you trying to say? What is the scripture really trying to show me here? Well, again, you know, I worked for about 20 years in the field of physical therapy. And uh, it kind of feels weird saying that because it makes me think I'm old now. But I don't feel old. I know I look old. But, you know, anyways, so I worked about 20 years in physical therapy. One of the, one of the things that we learned in our profession is how to do gait analysis, okay? Uh, we learn to watch people walk, and, and based on how they walk, and, and based on what kind of condition they had, literally, we could, we could determine maybe some neurological deficit, uh, maybe if they've had a stroke, maybe if they've uh, had a brain lesion, things like that. As a matter of fact, one of the most important examinations we would do in our profession is when a p- person would come see us for physical therapy, part of our objective assessment would, would be, okay, I want you to walk to the end of the room, and I want you to walk back. And we're just going to watch you walk. And of course, people are like, man, you're weird. Well, yeah, okay, we are weird. But we're actually looking for certain things. And, and based on how you walk, we'll be able to help you because of what we'll be able to conclude. Uh, when I was a student before I graduated, I spent about three months on a clinical rotation at a rehab hospital. And it was a, it was a neuro rehab hospital. And so uh, there was a lot of uh, neurological conditions. And, and let me just rattle a few of these off, not to, not to sound smart, because I'm not. But I will tell you that there's a lot of things that will affect your walk from a human standpoint. You know, when I was working, we would treat people that had Parkinson's disease. That affected their walk. That's a neurological deficit that, that affected their walk. People that had had a stroke, man, we were praying for them. Brenda, she experienced that, a small one. Thank God it was a small one. And, uh, but it limits your strength. It limits your ability to balance vestibular issues, multiple sclerosis, brain lesions, all of those things that would affect a person's ability to walk happen from the neck up. That's interesting to me. So from here up can affect the rest of this system. Yeah, absolutely it can. Yeah, absolutely it can. And as a matter of fact, we got really good at analyzing your walk and realizing you probably have some neurological deficit. And, and then, now that we know that, we can help fix that. Does that make sense? And, and that's coming from years and years of, of physical therapy. Can I tell you there's a spiritual application of that? And you already got it. That, that, and here's the key. Here it is. It's in your notes. Look, my mindedness affects my walk. My mindedness affects my walk. Now we're talking about spiritual mindedness or carnal mindedness. My mindedness affects my walk. And listen to this. My walk affects my mind. And so you know what would happen? We would, we would treat patients in physical therapy. And this is one of the benefits of my job is, and, and one of the blessings is, someone would come in and they had a neurological deficit and they had trouble balancing and they would fall or lose their balance. And we knew that it was coming from the neck up. We knew that this is where that problem was. And so one of the ways that we corrected that and treated that was we actually practice walking the right way. And by walking and exercising and strengthening the right way, it retrained the neural pathways in the brain. So, so, so the, the brain affected the walk, but then the walk could affect the brain. 
And I don't know why you're not picking this up yet, because listen, that's your whole problem. And mine too. And mine too. You see, my mind and my walk only have two places to choose from. And, and it's either to be walking after the flesh and thinking after the flesh, or it's to be walking and thinking after the Spirit. And so in your notes, look, we, we only have two places to go concerning our walk and our mind. Number one, it's going to either be after the flesh. And Paul writes and he says, if I walk after the flesh, I'll mind the things after the flesh. Do you know that the more you walk in the flesh, the more you care about the things of the flesh? Do you see how that works? Do you also see that if you're carnally minded, it begins in your mind, that's where you're going to walk? Do you understand that, that connection? And so listen, Paul says, the Word of God says, if I'm going to walk after the flesh, I'm going to have a mind toward the things of the flesh and vice versa. If I have my mind toward the things of the flesh, I'm going to walk, I'm going to walk in the flesh. Well, this is, this is the prescription to your healing right here. I mean, Galatians chapter 5 tells us, here's what the flesh looks like in my life and in your life. Galatians 5 and verse 19 says this, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Here is the manifestation of carnal-mindedness. You ready? This is the manifestation. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revailings. Oh, and if I didn't get your specific one on here, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So, so I want you to understand that these works of the flesh are the manifestation of a carnal mind. And the more that you walk in these things, well, the more carnal your mind is going to get. <laughs> you can't separate the head from the body and the body from the head. It starts in the mind, it results in a walk. And the more you walk, the more it affects your mind. I mean, God wants to give some of you victory today if you'll let him. I'm serious. I'm dead serious. Listen, if I mind the things of the flesh, I'm going to walk after the flesh. The Bible says in verse 6, Romans 8 and verse 6, to be carnally minded is death. It's death. Those things bring about death in your life. Colossians chapter 3 talks about all these members that we have on the earth, and, and some of these things are, are very, very similar as what we read in Galatians chapter 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. You would never call that idolatry, but God does. <laughs> it's just a working out of the flesh. Can I have your hand held? It's just a working out of the flesh. And so here's the reality. Look, death in the, in the life of a Christian can result in fruitlessness. It can re result in the fact that we are withered from the vine. It can result in the fact that God chastens us because we're not producing spiritual fruit for Him. It could even result in the fact that God brings us home early because carnally mindedness always equals death. 
You say, well, I got away with it this week. Well, you may not get away with it next week. And God may just bring you home. God can pull His kids out of the pool anytime He wants to. 1 Corinthians 11 says that those people that were taking the Lord's Supper wrongly, some of them died. You say, God would never do that. Are you ignorant? I mean, good grief, it's in the Bible. God would never do that to me. God just hadn't got your attention yet. You better pay attention. The carnal mind always results in death. The carnal mind always results in walking and working out in the flesh those things that are listed. And then number three, listen, the carnal mind is enmity against God. That word enmity literally means hatred. It means hatred. Your flesh hates God. It hates the things of God. It hates the Word of God. It hates the Spirit of God in you. That's how wicked your flesh really is. That's why Paul said in Romans 7, it is a war. It is a war. It is a war. Okay, well look, let's get off the bad news. (laughs) Because we all struggle with that enough. Look, my mind can walk after the flesh, and my mind can be fleshly and carnally minded, but my mind can also be spiritually minded. And that's the second choice that we all have. We can walk after the Spirit. And in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 25, the Bible says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk. Now, I want you to understand that verse. The Bible says that you can be alive in the Spirit of God and not walking in the Spirit. Do you see that? God says that if you live in the Spirit, you should also walk in the Spirit. And if, you're, if your mind is focused on spiritual things, your walk will match your mind. And the more that you walk in the Spirit, the more your mind becomes spiritually minded. And so there's a ton of verses. We're running out of time. But Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 says this, talking about us being buried by baptism with Christ. That's a spiritual baptism. And because we're resurrected with Christ, we also should walk in the newness of life. You know, when people would come into our physical therapy clinic, and I know I use these illustrations, but that's all I know. I mean, I don't know anything else. If they couldn't walk, and listen, that's a horrible thing. And, and we would try to teach and train and educate and exercise and, and retrain their gait pattern to walk. How foolish would it be for somebody that could not walk to refuse the very things that would help them walk? And we had patients like that. Like, you can't walk. Do you want to walk? Do, do you want to actually be safe? Do you want to not fall? Do you not want to lose your balance? then here are the things that we can do to help you, but you have to show up and you have to do these things. You know, Paul said in Galatians 5 and verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you don't walk in the Spirit, we're going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Hello? I mean, listen, it it is a choice that we make. It's either being spiritually minded or carnally minded. It's either walking in the flesh or walking in the Spirit, and you only choose one or the other. You can't choose both. The Bible says in the same passage there that to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's a stark contrast to death. Would you agree? (laughs) Something that's alive is different than something that's that's dead. Proverbs 3 verses 1 and 2 says this. You know, Solomon's writing and he's writing to his son and he says, My son, forget not my law. But let thine heart keep my commandments. 
for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. What is the they? The they is the law and the commandments of God, the word of God. Those are the things that add length of days and long life and peace in our life. First Timothy talks about in chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, that we all as Christians should, should be uh, offering up supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks. And we should make those for all men, for kings and for all those that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet, listen, and peaceable life and all godliness and honesty. You see, the problem of you not having a peaceable life has nothing to do with your political party preference. It has to do with your priority of prayer and time in God's Word. Hello? So, so listen, if we don't keep our mind focused on God's Word, if we don't keep our mind focused on prayer, we're not going to walk where God wants us to walk. And if we don't walk where God wants us to walk, then we won't think the way God wants us to think. And it's an unbroken cycle that occurs in our life. And, and listen, man, people get mad at me. I'm, I'm used to that by now. I used to have feelings. Those died a long time ago. But, you know, people get mad to me, and I listen to everything that's going on wrong in their life. You know, I listen to everything that's going on wrong in their life. And many times after I listen, and I do listen because I care and I want to counsel and, and be a pastor and all those good things, and the first question I'll ask after all is said and done, the first question I'll ask is, how's your Bible reading? And the second question I'll ask is, how's your prayer life? And people look at me like I'm stupid. Well, I am stupid. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that one. But I'm telling you, the answer, the answer to be carnally minded or spiritually minded lies in what your mind is focused on. And if you don't focus yourself on the Word of God and you don't position yourself in prayer, how in the world do you expect to walk in the Spirit? How do you expect to experience life and peace in your relationships, in your marriage, on your job, in your family, in your ministry? You can't. And that's not what God wants for you. God wants His resurrection power to be a reality in your life every single day. And if it's not, it's not God's fault. Many times it's our fault. It's our fault because we choose wrong. We choose to be carnally minded. We choose not to be spiritually minded. We don't get in the book and let our mind be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We don't position our feet to do the things that God has called us to do, and we wonder why we don't think straight. Listen, we are in the most bipolar culture that has ever existed in history. And the reason why, and I'm not making any health statements regarding mental health right now, but I am telling you there is a carnal mind and a spiritual mind according to the authority of that book. And the spiritual mind always results in life and peace. And the carnal mind results in death. You say, well, you're not a doctor. You got that right. I'm not. But I am a Bible believer. And this book doesn't lie. Well, the last thing is this. Number four is this. A biblical, a biblical reminder of salvation. Verses 8 and 9 says this. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now you notice how that word is different. In the flesh is different than after the flesh. Do you see that? God shifted the phrase. God changed the words 
because words are important. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. God changed the words. Why? Because the meaning changes. He changed it from walking after the flesh or after the Spirit to now being in the flesh and in the Spirit. So the last verses, verses 8 and 9, have everything to do with your position in Christ. One who is in the flesh is lost. He's unsaved. Because those that are in the flesh cannot please God. And, he, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to cheat into the next portion of Scripture, but I had to use verse 9 because it clarifies who in the Spirit really is. If you are in the Spirit, the Bible teaches that you are saved. You're born again. You're a child of God. That's who you are. And God wants to remind you walking in the Spirit is possible because the Spirit's in you. It, he's in you. He already dwells in you. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 13. I don't think I put it on the screen, but just listen. Hereby we know that we dwell in Him and He in us because He hath given us of His Spirit. If you've got the Spirit of God, you are in the Spirit. And now God says you need to walk after the Spirit. You need to walk after the Spirit. And so listen, that's a good reminder at the end of that passage for us because it begs us to ask the question, are we saved? Are we saved? Are we saved? Are you saved? Listen, listen. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible teaches very clearly that you are saved. He is in you. You are in Him. You are in Him. But the second question is equally as important. Are you walking like it? Are you walking like a saved man? Are you walking like a saved woman? Is your mind thinking like a born-again believer in Jesus Christ? Or do you mind the things of the flesh? And if you do, it probably already plays out in your life. Now listen, I got really good as a, as a physical therapist assistant watching people walk. That's just what I did. That's just what I learned to do. And I, I want you to understand as a pastor, I don't do that. I don't try to figure out, man, whether you got it all together or not, whether you're walking in the Spirit or not. But, but, but there ought to be a working out of your walk with the Lord in the Spirit that results in deeds that are done. Should, should it not? Because to be spiritually minded will result in a walk in a spirit, in the spirit. And to be carnally minded will result in a walk in the flesh. And God wants to remind us this morning, or maybe for the very first time, educate us. Walking in the flesh is never going to get us where we, where we need to go. And there is a condemnation awaiting for those that walk not in the spirit, but walk after the flesh. Now, the judgment seat of Christ, church, listen. Best thing I can do is tell you what the Bible says. At the judgment seat of Christ. You say, well, I'll get in heaven and I'll spend eternity with the Lord. Friend, you need to read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There will be suffering of loss. Not your salvation. But I dare say that everything that we've done when it's tested by the fire of God's righteous judgment for the believer, not your sin, but your deeds, well, many of us will in that day wish we have walked in the Spirit more days in our life. We'll wish that. Don't let that happen to you. 
You don't have to be that person. Today, you can make the decision. I'm going to walk in the Spirit by the grace of God. The Spirit's already in you. Word of God's right in front of you. If you don't have a, a copy of it, we'll get you a copy of it. You need somebody to help you walk in your relationship, we'll disciple you. That's on you, though. You got to want it. We can put all the tools in front of you, but you got to want it. And we want to help you. And I want to help you. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you.